The Gator Tales with Sean Kelly podcast is presented by UF Health. UF Health has locations throughout Florida, including Gainesville, Jacksonville, St. Augustine, Leesburg, and the Villages, and we're growing. Compassionate care and world-class outcomes, that's our game plan. Visit ufhealth.org to learn more. Our podcast is also brought to you by Pet Paradise. Gator fans, for pet fanatics like you, there's only one place who goes all out for your pet the way you do. Boarding, grooming, day camp, and veterinary services all in one convenient location. Pet Paradise and New Day Veterinary Care. Finally, complete pet health care is here for Gator Nation. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to Gator Tales with Sean Kelly. This is episode 14, and I'm Sean Kelly. I'm back in Gainesville for the recording of this podcast, fresh back from a road trip to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, with the men's basketball team. This week was the ACC-SEC basketball challenge for both the men and the women. Unfortunately, the men lost at Wake Forest on Wednesday night. The women got themselves another win with a road win at Georgia Tech. We'll look more at basketball coming up next week. On the men's side, it'll be good to be home next week with a home game at the O'Connell Center on Tuesday. This week's podcast takes us towards spring and the baseball diamond. One of our featured guests today is head coach Kevin O'Sullivan. It seems like just yesterday that the team was in Omaha competing for a national championship at the College World Series. Since then, a roster makeover and fall ball and now our attention turns toward the start of the season come February. We get a fall wrap-up, a preview of what's to come, and what is immediately ahead for baseball with the head coach of the Gators, Kevin O'Sullivan. And this weekend in Atlanta, Georgia, they'll play for the SEC Championship in football. Alabama versus Georgia is probably the most highly anticipated game of this week's college football schedule. As a part of the festivities, an SEC legend from each school will be honored at a banquet and during the football game. This year's honoree for the Florida Gators, my broadcast partner, Shane Matthews. Matthews was a two-time SEC Player of the Year, 1990 and 91. He lettered three years at quarterback for Florida from 1990 to 1992, and he finished his career as a three-time selection as an all-SEC quarterback second-team All-American in 91, and a Heisman Trophy finalist. Listen to these numbers. 700 passes for over 9,000 yards and 74 touchdowns. He was 28-8 and eight over his three-year career, and he never lost a home game at the Swamp. So what's taken so long? Well, a 14-year career in the NFL had something to do with that. Matthews was previously honored with an induction into the UF Hall of Fame back in 2002. But this year, finally, he is named an SEC legend. We'll visit with Shane about his career this weekend in Atlanta. Oh yeah, and his role as my broadcast partner on the Gators football broadcast alongside Tate Casey too. This week's episode also has another edition of Kenna on Campus. Kenna McGinnis, our student worker here in the communications department, visits with the mic man. Oh, you don't know who that is? I know you do know. It's the guy who wears a bow tie, a white button-down shirt, and blue pants with orange Fs scattered all over it. He's on the microphone at football games and basketball games as a part of the cheer team. The orange and blue chant, all his. Firing up the crowd, that's his job too. We wanted to find out who this person was, why they do it, and what they enjoy most about being the mic man. 
We'll start on the baseball side. Kevin O'Sullivan had a chance to sit down with us this week and take a look back at what's transpired so far this fall for his team. The head baseball coach of the Florida Gators, Kevin O'Sullivan, now joins us on Gator Tales with Sean Kelly. And yes, I know we just had Thanksgiving, but why not talk about Gators baseball? That's good for me, coach, any time of the year. Maybe it is for you, too, here at the early part of December, late November time frame. There's no doubt. It was, it was good to you know have a break for Thanksgiving and, and get away for a week or so. But um, we're excited about the up- upcoming year. Uh, we'll have exit meetings uh, this week, and then the guys will finish up with the exams and go home for the holidays and stay in shape. And before you know it, you know our first game will be here in the middle of February. It really is kind of your last breath, right? Your last breath before the grind begins again. I feel like we were just at Omaha a couple weeks ago. You? Yeah. You know, it's a little bittersweet. You know, we, we had a great team last year and made a great run there and, and, until the end there, obviously. But um, it's one of those things that you want to reflect and, and have some really positive thoughts because there's so many really great players and it was a really tight-knit team. And we're, it's unfortunate that it ended the way it did, but we're certainly looking forward to the challenge again this year. One of the primary reasons I wanted to visit with you, Sully, was just to kind of get a wrap up of the fall what did you take away from the fall what did you learn about what is seemingly a very new group here heading into 24 well I I think the biggest takeaway was the importance of a lot of the freshman pitchers and 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 the roles that they're going to have and I think there's probably six or seven of the freshmen that we're going to have to lean on um Maybe one or two are going to be starters for us, but we're real excited about that group. And obviously, getting back, you know, Luke behind the plate, and obviously, you know, Jack at at, at first and, and pitching on the weekends. And Michael Robertson had a really good fall, and Tyler Shellnut swung the bat really well. So we've we've got some important pieces. You know, Kate Curlin, he always seems to be the guy you kind of leave out, and and it's not fair because obviously he's going to be hitting right there at the top of the order for us. But we're excited about our team. We got a really good nucleus of of older players returning, some younger. players players obviously coming into our program so it's it should be an interesting spring let's start with some of the returning guys and you mentioned Michael Robertson who makes that jump from year one to year two and in a lot of sports Sully it seems like that's one of the most important jumps freshman to sophomore is that the case in baseball is that why you saw the jump that you did in the fall with Michael I do I, I think there was a setback his freshman year where he redshirted he had the hamstring he was out the whole spring so last year was really his freshman year and now I think you're starting to see a real sophomore even though he is a junior academically but it's really his second year. But he had a great fall for us. If we're going to be as good as we want to be, it would be really nice to be able to keep him at the top of the order. He's handled left-handers better. He's driving the ball better. Obviously, he's great defensively, um, but he certainly did have a good fall. Kate Curlin, what did he focus on after being so good last season? Well, I think the biggest thing that our fans will notice is, is his physicality. He's gotten so much bigger. He's probably around 200 pounds now, and he's gotten better defensively for sure. I think he's running a little bit better. He's always been able to hit, you know, He's been playing varsity baseball since he's been eighth grade. And obviously, he came in here a year early, but certainly exceeded expectations, but certainly picked up right where he left off. And then there's Jack Caglione. And it's hard for me to think about what would be in the toolbox you know, for him now moving forward. What do you think he learned over the summer that helps him now moving into this new season? Well, I think he obviously really enjoyed his time with the USA team. But I think getting away and just kind of taking a deep breath was really big for him, probably more than probably anybody on our roster. But I I really hope our fans appreciate, you know, what he can do on a baseball field. And it really didn't hit me until last fall when I was driving home one day that we were playing an inter-squad game and he threw a baseball 100 miles an hour and hit a baseball over 115 in the same inter-squad game. And it's just 
it's it's just different talent. And he had a really good fall on the mound. He's still on a lot more strikes. He's made a concerted effort of making some tweaks in his delivery. And offensively, you know, he's he's become a better hitter. You know, he's he's taking his, his hit, his singles and doubles into the left center gap. He's not just pull happy. He's got a better feel for the strike zone. And um, he's, he's a, overall, he's been a better player. Now, obviously, he's going to have to handle the expectations, which are going to be higher than they've ever been, um, not just of performance on the field, but with the draft and those types of things. But, you know, that's our job as coaches to kind of keep him between the white lines and encourage him and, and, and be there for him. Coach O'Sullivan here with us. Coach, one of the, the I think, most enjoyable things for me last year in being with the team was that I got to witness a team that had great leadership amongst themselves. Uh, and of, of course, some of those have moved on. How do you keep that going or, or I guess pass that along to somebody else? Does that develop slowly, quickly? How do you see it? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Sean, because you know you can label this guy or that guy as captains before the season starts, but you really don't know who your leaders are until you go through stretches during the season where you're struggling a little bit. And sometimes you can get consumed in your own, um, you know, you, you, you know, pretty much your own game, so to speak, and and your own performances. And it's really hard to kind of step up and speak in front of your peers when you're not playing as well as you want to be. But I, I think a couple names that kind of j- jump out a little bit is. Is, is Tyler Shellnut and, and Dale Thomas, for sure. Um, Dale's kind of a spark plug. He's kind of waited his time. He's older. And he had a good fall, too. So, um, But you, re- like I said, you really don't know, obviously, you know, Brandon Neely, who's who's done both for a start and pitch in the back end. He's certainly a leader on the mound. And he'll have to help those younger pitchers, for sure, because it, it'll be a learning experience for them. But we've got some guys that have the ability to be leaders. But like I said, you really don't know until – until you go through that stretch. Let me just drive the question right at you because you mentioned it earlier. You've got a bunch of freshmen you're going to have to rely on on the mound. You just talked about Brandon Neely and a few of the other vet pitchers that got to help bring some of these freshmen along. So uh, I'm, I just want to run right at it. How many of these freshmen do you rely on? Who are some of the names that Gators fans are going to have to come to know pretty quickly on the mound? Well, I think, they're, not, not to kind of put them in order, but Liam Peterson kind of stood out, got an opportunity to pitch on the weekends for us. And that doesn't happen very often, especially in our league. Um, uh, Luke McNeely is another. Um, got uh, Alex Philpott, he, he's another. And we've got a couple lefties, um, Satin and um, Frankie Menendez, who I feel like have pitched well enough to get the opportunity to pitch for us. So we've got some, some combinations of right-handers and left-handers. There's probably more freshman arms that we've had to rely on um, going into the season. But honestly, they've pitched well enough this fall to have that opportunity so we we haven't been afraid to to pitch or play freshmen and most of the freshmen that we've had come in here that have had the ability to play right away have been scouted and have turned down significant amount of money to come to school here so you know they played at a high level so you know we'll try to bring them along as slowly as we as we possibly can but at the end of the day they'll get an opportunity to pitch right away who are the high impact transfers on this club and whether you're ready to name names or not I, i would be curious to know how many of those can impact your lineup, at least early in the season? Well, obviously, the first one is, is, is Shelton at short. And I think the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why he came to Florida, number one, is to win a national championship. But number two, have the ability to play shortstop. That was really important to him. Spent a lot of time this summer getting his body in shape. And, and Chuck's done a great job with him um, defensively. He's made about as big a jump as I've seen with an infielder in quite some time. So um, he certainly is is one. And Brody Donay, the catcher from Virginia Tech, um, he'll certainly be an impact in, in, in our lineup and does a really good job behind the plate. But he could also play some other positions. And, uh, you know, and Jalen Guy. You know, in center field, he's someone also that has got a chance to help us win as well. A six foot seven catcher, coach. Um, 
I'm wondering how umpires are going to deal with that. It's, it's, it is kind of freakish to see. And I know that you're going to have multiple guys playing that position, but I, I don't know if I ever remember seeing a six foot seven catcher. Yeah, it's kind of unique. There's no question, but he is flexible. I mean, he's got, he's, he's got some flexibility in his hips and we've seen him out of high school, obviously, but he was, he was a pitcher and he runs fairly well in the outfield. He's got a chance to play a little corner outfielder, some first base for us, but he's got a lot of power. Um, it's got to show up, obviously, you know, a little bit more consistently in games, but we certainly think and, and believe it will. Do you have a lot of questions still heading between fall ball and the start of, you know, training camp, if you will, come late January, early February? Uh, and, are, and are they questions just because you have competition that you've recruited each position, or or how, how do you see it? Yeah, I think there's, there's always – um, a level of uncertainty you know it's you you have a blueprint um, but you do want to I'm not going to say put doubt in your players minds but there is a level of you still got to compete and you still got to earn and nothing's ever given to you um, I think the the biggest question mark that you know going into the going into the spring in regards to our roster is Pierce Coppola you know we're hoping that we can get him back at some point. I guess we're targeting, hopefully, if everything goes well by mid-March. But certainly, if he can come back and be healthy, obviously, that would be a huge, huge plus for us. Without a doubt. Um, help the fans understand what's next. You know, it's like, okay, we just talked about fall ball, and the holidays are coming. So, with regard to preparations for the new season, what's the what's the program here for you, your staff, and the players from now until when we start thinking about uniforms and, and games. Well, we'll have exit meetings on Wednesday and Thursday of this week, and then they'll have their final exams, and the guys will start sprinkling going home uh, mm-hmm. next week at some point. And then we'll stay in contact with them over, over the holidays, and you know they'll have a workout plan, stay in shape, and they'll have a throwing program. But that really hasn't been an issue with, with players in our program for, for a long time because they're all highly motivated. They all obviously want to win at the highest level here, but they also have aspirations of playing at the next level. So that's always been hanging over their heads. So, um, and we do try to recruit players that have good makeup. So we'll we'll just uh, let them go home and enjoy it, get away for a little bit, have them work hard, um, encourage them. Like I said, stay in touch with them. Get back here in the beginning of January, and then kick it off. It'll be here before you know it. Let me ask you one more question because you mentioned the next level. Wyatt Langford, what happened with him after he left us in Omaha? Coach, did, did that surprise you in any way as to his success rising through the Rangers organization? You know, it's a good question. I've been asked that quite a bit. I don't think anything Wyatt does in his career is, is going to surprise me, to be honest with you. The one thing I guess that is a little surprising is it just how quickly they're moving through the minor leagues at, at such a rapid rate. You know, you're seeing guys signing, you know, you know, out of college, and the next thing you know, three, four weeks later, they're in Double A AA or Triple A. Yeah. You never saw that before. We, I've only seen that one time. You know, in, as far as our program's concerned, Paco Rodriguez did that in 2012. Signed in June, or played in Omaha in June, signed in July, and then the pitching in Dodger Stadium. You know, in, in September. So you just don't see that that rise in the minor leagues quite that quick as as we did this summer but I think that goes back to the same thing the players in the SEC are just at a different level and they're prepared for the next level yeah I was gonna say doesn't that say something about you and your program that these guys are pro ready when they leave the University of Florida yeah and we keep saying the same thing the SEC is the toughest league in the country and I think you're seeing that now and you're seeing the the difference differences in philosophy and in and and drafting players you're coming they're college oriented. They're SEC oriented, um, more so than maybe the high school player because they want to return, you know, you know, in the draft a little bit more quickly. And like I said, I, and, and 
our, our, you know, you know, Hurston obviously, you know, got to AAA with the Braves as well. But when you start looking around our league and how quickly some of these players are moving, it's just remarkable. Like I said, it's just, it just complements our league. Happy holidays. I, I, I want the season to be here right now, but I could also wait a little bit too. Maybe you can too. But anyway, I appreciate the visit, Coach. Awesome. I appreciate it, Sean. Hey Gator fans, welcome back to Kenna on Campus. I'm Kenna McGinnis. As a Gator, it's impossible to ignore our prominent characters and faces of our school spirit. Albert, Alberta, the Dazzlers, our cheer team, and of course, the Mike Man. You can't miss him. Either at midfield or center court, leading the cheers and energy of the crowd in his bow tie and bright blue pants is none other than Ethan Jockins, the Florida Gators Mike Man. Watching him this season made me wonder how exactly one assumes this role. I asked Ethan, a third-year out-of-stater Gator from Wisconsin, how exactly he got this gig. Man, it's it's actually wild because I'm I'm not from Florida at all. I didn't know anything about Florida football. Well, I knew it was a big deal. That that was that I was certain of. I was more of a, a Badger fan actually growing up. I'm from Wisconsin, and when I got here though, I was converted so quickly to the Gator Nation. I remember the first night I walked out into the swamp, and just like the crowd hit me. That's it was the power of the swamp came over me, and it was just wild. Like, I knew I wanted to be a part of it in a big way. I just didn't know how. And one of the first games I saw saw the, the Mike man, that's that's my, my position. I saw him out there on the field just starting the Orange and Blue chant. And that was one of my favorite parts of the whole game. Like, football was great. Football was fun. But the students and, like, the atmosphere just drove me crazy. I knew I had to be a part of it somehow. And, you know, I, I kind of forgot about it, honestly. Like, I forgot about that dream that started, like, one of the first games. But right around the Orange and Blue game, a buddy of mine actually reached out and said, hey, do you want to be Elbert? And so I got in talks with, um, with one of the past Elbert, because they can't, they can't let you know who they are until afterwards. And I was, I was convinced I was going to be Elbert. And I went to the Orange and Blue game and remembered this guy in the field. And I thought, okay, I'm good with being Elbert, but if I could be that, and that energy is just exactly what I'm looking for. Like, I'd love to be so central of like, this school spirit. And so I reached out, I found my way. I actually was too late for the trial. Like I missed it entirely, but I reached out. I reached. I reached out to the coach uh, repeatedly, and it was it was difficult. She's like, ah, you're too late. But I found I found the contact of like an old mic man who texted her for me, so I got a tryout. And I work in those connections. I work I mean, that's the Gator way. I guess. That's the Gator way. It's actually wild that I got in this position. I'm so grateful for it because it really was never supposed to happen. But when I when I tried out, I, I actually flew down from Wisconsin for the tryout. Um, so that was a that was a risky little flight, and it would have been a painful ride ride back home if I didn't get the job. Um, it's it's a one on one position, and I, I'm so fortunate for it. I didn't even realize how like great it would be socially too. Um, it's actually it's actually a role on the cheer team. I don't I don't know how many people know that, but. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. You were talking about practice earlier. It was like practice what? Saying orange and blue, but yeah, I mean, it kind of it's kind of like that sometimes, honestly. Um, but it, it really has made like it's a great atmosphere. I, I didn't realize how awesome like the the guys and girls on cheer were gonna be. They're just it's such a such a warm environment. It's, it's such a great thing to be a part of. Like when I found out I got the the role, they they immediately threw me in the group chat with the cheerleaders. I was like, I didn't even know I was joining the cheer team at all. This is wild. <laughs> you didn't even know it was fun. No, I didn't know. And so, like that had been that has been such a fun experience, and there's honestly such great people through it. Um, it's been such a such a blessing. Yeah, I can only imagine. And now, tell me, are you typically this high energy at home, or are you super excited after these 
back to games and loud fan bases to finally get some quiet? Are you still keeping the energy going when you go back home? This is uh, this is one of the only environments that can actually take the energy out of me right afterwards. Like I'm I'm slumped after a good football game, after a good basketball game. It's it's low energy. But other than that, like I've I've just been kind of known for being like a bit of a um, an engine, I, I guess. <laughs> just uh, just always that's that's such a funny uh, childhood reference right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I feel like I've always just loved bringing it. How many times a year do you lose your voice, or how, how hard is it to get it back after these games? So I would definitely say fresh or my sophomore year, I, I joined as a sophomore, and that ooh, the day after was brutal. But eventually, I think like somehow these uh, um, the throat got stronger, I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, I I learned that you kind of you can't speak from your throat you got to speak from your chest and your stomach your diaphragm you really got to take it different so you don't lose your voice i suppose that's the difference then yeah maybe maybe we went from uh being uh speaking right from the throat to the the vocal cords i guess we changed things up yeah bring it to the diaphragm i don't know yeah it makes sense so thank you so much for your time today ethan and go gator go gators let's go well, Shane Matthews is my broadcast partner on Gators football, but more importantly, he is a University of Florida Hall of Famer, class of 2002, two-time SEC Player of the Year in 1990 and 91, 14-year NFL vet, and now, on all that and more, SEC legend. He'll be representing the Gators as an SEC legend at the upcoming uh, SEC Football Championship in Atlanta. Congratulations, Shane. Uh, it's a long time coming. I know there are reasons why, but it's well-deserved, and I hope that you are ready for a big weekend. Yeah, it's a, it's quite an honor. Uh, I was a little surprised when they called me, but uh, looking forward to representing the university there in Atlanta for a tremendous championship game, and I'm sure I'll get booed at halftime or before the game or whenever they introduce us. But uh, just had a good career, had a lot of good players around me that allowed this to happen. You didn't get booed at home this past Saturday when they honored you on the field in the first quarter. How'd that feel to be back in that mode? I know you didn't have a helmet or a uniform on, but it had been a while since you'd been in front of that swamp crowd. Well, we got a great, great crowd. There's no question. And it was cool. I tell you, it was, it was somewhat awkward having to stand by yourself, you know, <laughs> while they did the the announcement over the PA system, but uh, yeah, it was, it was very cool. You know, get that adrenaline rush. I was lucky to get down there early, you know, on our first drive. And that's the first time I've been down at field level in quite some time. And that got my juices flowing. I can only imagine. Did, did all this make you think back to your playing days? Did any memories rush back to you? Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, it was senior day for us. And I said on the broadcast, you know, you don't really realize it until, you're old like I am, that you never get to run out of that tunnel again. It's a special feeling to be able to run out of that tunnel of the swamp and play in front of 90,000. It's it's something that you take for granted. Because when you go play, if you're lucky enough to play in the National Football League, it's not like that. You know, the stadiums aren't that big and you don't have a senior day and things of that nature. So uh, it was cool to be back down there again, for sure. Do you think more about the college playing days than the NFL days at this point? No question. Uh, you know, I think... Now, if you ask today's player that in a few years, it may be different than us older guys because, you know, we lived together. Uh, back when I played, we all lived in Yon Hall, which was on the 
uh, east side of the stadium. So you you did everything together. And, you know, if you're there four or five years, you build great relationships. And, you know, my best friends today are the guys I play college football with. You know, I didn't even think about that, about you living basically in the stadium. And now you work there. Is that weird? Uh, I guess so. You know, Sean, I always wanted to be a college football coach. That was like my dream, being a coach's son growing up. I was hoping, you know, when my playing days were over, my my dreams were to to coach with Coach Spurrier, you know, whether it be his quarterback coach or what have you. But I played too long. And then I had an opportunity in 06 when I was re- when I retired. Uh, I kind of thought about getting into it. I was kind of old at 36. That's old to start at the bottom. And I got into high school coaching and realized I'm coaching a lot of kids there at Buholtz and Gainesville High School, and their dads are Gator coaches. And they never get to see their kid play. You know, I, I coached multiple kids. They probably saw their kid play two or three times in their entire high school career. And I was like, you know what? Well, my son gets old enough to play high school ball. I'm not going to miss a game. Um, so that was another reason why I got out of the coaching, but or, or didn't get into the coaching. But yeah, it's 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 weird. But I'm now part of a team. Being you know, you're my broadcast partner. I feel like we're part of a football team again. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I it, it does feel like that, and you and Tate make it feel that way. And to have both of you, you know, as former players on that broadcast is is special to me, and it makes my job easier. Uh, is being an analyst on the radio what you thought it would be, Shane? Uh, it's fun. It can be frustrating. Uh, obviously, I, I have no background in radio. I didn't go through the journalism school like a lot of the Gator grads, um, but it's football. You know, we're not so, so trying to solve cancer. I, all I have to do is just kind of repeat what I just saw. Uh, but it's it's pretty cool. I ain't going to lie to be able to be be the color analyst for the Gators. You know, the feedback that I hear about you is, is obviously your football knowledge comes shining through, but you're also an extension of the fan base and they love that you wear your emotions on the broadcast to, to some degree. I'm, I'm not saying that you, you know, you're yelling and screaming or anything like that, but it's clear when things are painful to you. And it's clear when you're excited about things as well. Uh, does it come naturally? And, and do you want to check yourself on it or do you like to let it flow? Well, I tried to, I know you're not supposed to do some of that stuff or be a homer or whatever, but hell, we're, we're the voice of the Florida Gators and I play for them. So it's, <laughs> I'm going to kind of act like I'm out there playing and rooting for the guys. Um, but it's, it's been great. Obviously we haven't won as many games as we'd like, uh, but it's been a, a blast and an honor to be, be on the broadcast for sure. You know, Shane, speaking of you as a player, and I know you played for coach Spurrier, but you know, we're talking about 700 passes, 9,000 yards. 74 touchdowns. Those numbers, I think, wouldn't jar me as as much if you had been playing during this era of college football. But you didn't. The game was different then. Why were those numbers more modern than maybe the time that you played in? Well, uh, the, the game has changed. The rules favor the offense these days. And, you know, we didn't throw bubble screens. We didn't throw any of that kind of stuff. It was more of a vertical passing game. And I was fortunate enough to be here at the right right time when they hired Coach Spurrier. He gave me an opportunity, and I owe everything in my career to that man. Uh, he changed my life. Uh, but, yeah, it, it would be fun to be a quarterback in the modern-day football because uh, I never played in the shotgun, Sean. I didn't take one snap until I went to the NFL. Uh, so I, I would love to be able to go back and play today. Could Coach Spurrier work in this era of college football? Oh, absolutely. He's as good a play caller as I've ever been around, just the way his mind works. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, I don't know if he would throw it sideways very often. Uh, he, he still likes to take shots. And, and I think playing for him comes out in me on the broadcast because I like to take shots. And uh, I learned it all from him. How many people do you tell that you never lost at home? Well, that I, I really didn't know that until a couple of years ago. You know, when Coach came back as the ambassador, I think he gets bored and he goes up in that little closet office of his and starts reminiscing. And he called me one day and, and asked me what Gator quarterback never lost at home. And I, I kind of threw out Rex, but I was like, no, Rex lost. I, know Dan I knew Danny had lost. And I knew Tebow had lost. He goes, no, it's you. And I was like, Wow. And uh, so that's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, I, I think so, too. It's also cool that you've made your home here in the Gainesville area, Shane. And and this predates your role now as as analyst on the Gators uh, you know, football broadcast. You're from Mississippi. Why, why did you come back to Gainesville? Well, when I got an opportunity to play pro ball, you know, you, you got to kind of have a home base. Uh, so I was like at that time. I was, I got married right after college, right before my tr rookie training camp. And we didn't really want to go back to Mississippi and he didn't want to go to Jacksonville. So we kind of just decided, Hey, let's make Gainesville our home base. And, you know, I always lived in my football city, just basically from training camp till the end of the season and always came back here for the off season. And, and loved every bit of it. I'm a small, small town guy. I don't like those big cities. And Gainesville has a lot to do, you know, with the university. If you want to go to some basketball games, some baseball or softball games. So uh, it was a great place to raise my kids. Um, and they've enjoyed it as well. Shane, you've, you've played college football. You're an SEC legend as a result. You had, you know, a double digit NFL career. You've coached at the high school level. Heck, you coached last year in the XFL and the development, you know, stage of things for a lot of these pros. When you, when you think about what else you'd like to do, what comes to mind? Oh, man, uh, I, I, there's not a whole lot. You know, I'm an avid golfer. I love playing golf a couple of days a week. Uh, I'm now a granddad, so that's kind of changed my outlook on life, quite honestly. Uh, my grandson lives in Mississippi, believe it or not. It's kind of funny. Um, so I'm, I'm anxious to have some downtime to be able to go spend time with him. And obviously, when he gets older, to try to be at all his – t-ball games or foot flag football or whatever so that's kind of that's kind of my focus right now in life yeah I, I don't mean to get too personal about this but you brought up your grandson and in talking to a lot of former players i get the i get a mixed response to this question the question i ask is would you let your son or grandson play full contact tackle football where would you stand on that with regard to your grandson yeah absolutely i would uh you know it was funny where I grew up in Mississippi, up in North Mississippi, up in Cleveland, we weren't allowed to play tackle football until like, I think fifth or sixth grade. I think it was fifth grade. And then I went into what they call junior high there. And, but some of these kids that play really, really young makes no sense to me. I think you get more out of playing flag football for the agility and things of that nature. So yeah, I have no problem with my grandson. If he wants to play, if he wants to put a golf club in his hand, that's fine as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he he wants to play sports because I think uh, the more sports you play, the better athlete you become, and it just it teaches about a lot of life lessons. Shane, speaking of life lessons or or experiences that you like to share, I don't know if you'll have to speak in any form or fashion coming up. Uh, you know, as you all are honored across the uh, the conference as SEC legends, but. 
whether it be there if you do speak or any other time that you speak to fan groups or touchdown clubs or anything like that. Shane, what's the favorite story that you seem to share most every time you do a public speaking engagement? That's a good one. I do have to speak on behalf of all 14 inductees. I don't know why they chose me, but I have oh. to do that uh, Friday night at a banquet. So um, hopefully I, I'll put a little speech together that's worthwhile. But my favorite story, Sean, is... You know, they they did the uh, the 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 play that changed college football. The first documentary, the first 30-30 or whatever ESPN did was the play that changed college football from the 1992 SEC championship game that all Gator fans want to forget about. I, it gives me nightmares, but I threw the pick six uh, to lose and Alabama goes on to win the national title. And, you know, Roy Kramer put that game together. None of the coaches wanted to play that extra game uh, because it was hard enough to win a national title in the SEC. So long story short, um, I tell people, I think I should be getting royalties from every championship game that's played because if we win that game, nobody else would have a championship game. So I'm solely responsible for all these championship games that people go to at the end of the year. But the great story is I'm taking my daughter to uh, orientation. She went to Mississippi State University. So I'm driving her to Starkville and I'm hauling butt. And I think it was on a two-lane road from Montgomery to Tuscaloosa. And it's just a little hilly two-lane state road. And across, here comes a highway patrolman. He hits the lights and I'm hauling butt. He comes and knocks on the window. He says, sir, I need your driver's license and your registration. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking this is going to be a very expensive ticket. He comes back a few minutes later and he goes, Mr. Matthews, what are you doing here in the state of Alabama? I said, I'm taking my daughter to orientation. He goes, that's strange. She's going to go to the University of Alabama. I said, no, sir. She goes, she's going to Mississippi State. And my license says Michael S. Matthews on it. So he goes, this is the most dangerous road in the state of Alabama. You need to slow down. He goes, I'm an Alabama fan. We appreciate that interception. You need to slow down. You had a great career. I'm going to give you a warning. And I said, thank you, sir. Roll Tide. And I drove off. (laughs) I had I had not heard you tell that story yet. Um, and, and so I'm that was, I mean, so, so so that that that's one of my favorite stories because that that game really haunts me. And it and I said it finally paid off in some capacity. I didn't get a speeding ticket, but uh, because that 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 play, I mean, Sean, it it really changed college football uh, to what we know today. And uh, unfortunately, that is the only interception in my career, whether it was high school, college, or the pros, that was ever returned for a touchdown. Either I made a tackle or one of my teammates did, but. Antonio Langham took it to the house. I, I agree. You should get some kind of a royalty from all these championships. All the championships. Yep. All of them. Um, all of them. I, I think I know the answer to this. Let's just say that would have been like a $500 speeding ticket. Um, would you have rather paid the $500 speeding ticket and have won that game and not thrown the pick six? Oh, absolutely. But the only good, the, 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 other, the only good thing else that came out of that game, if we upset Alabama, in that game, Florida State, I believe, would have won the national title that year. So I guess it was a good thing. And, you know, we reenacted that whole uh, scenario with Antonio Langham up at Legion Field. He dropped it the first four times I threw it to him. He finally caught it on the fifth time. And I joke with Antonio and George Teague and that whole crew that they owe me a national championship ring. I don't think it's arrived in the mail yet, has it? No, it hasn't. It no, hasn't. it hasn't. So, so, so this weekend, it's going to be interesting to see because a lot of our people may not – well, I guess when the Gators went – I don't know. Yeah, the Gator fans used to go to the championship game when they honor these guys. These guys get booed, booed like crazy by whatever teams are there. So I know I'm going to get booed by the Georgia fans, but I might get an ovation from the Alabama fans. You just might, Shane Matthews. Um, 
and that would be probably fitting, and I wouldn't expect it to be any different in Atlanta. Yeah, so we'll see. It should be fine. Let's end on that. I love the story. Um, it's fantastic. We're all thinking of you about that, uh, your honor this week, and I know you'll have a great speech lined up for uh, SEC Legends uh, Banquet this weekend. So thank you, sir. Go Gators. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Shane Matthews and Kevin O'Sullivan. Two great conversations. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did in visiting with those two gentlemen. And of course, thanks again to Kenna McGinnis, our student worker. Another fine edition of Kenna on campus. Big thanks to our sponsors, our presenting sponsor, UF Health, and also Pet Paradise for helping us deliver episode number 14 of Gator Tales with Sean Kelly to you. Hope you're having a great start to the holiday season. So with that, time to say goodbye until we get to you next week for episode number 15 of Gator Tales with Sean Kelly. I'm Sean Kelly. So long for just a while, and go Gators. Gator Tales with Sean Kelly is a joint production of UAA and Gators Sports Properties with special assistance from Bruce Floyd and Herb Brooks. This week, also assistance from Sports Information Director Sullivan Bortner. <laughs>